Please have Colossians 2 open in front of you. And we're looking at this whole matter of the gospel and Christ alone, Jesus alone, the sufficiency of the Lord Jesus. And throughout the word of God, we find that Christ is present and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is great, both in its origin and also in its accomplishment. And the Bible says very clearly that the Holy Spirit is the defining factor in people like you and me being given new life, being enabled to believe, being able to trust Christ for ourselves to possess saving faith. And when the Holy Spirit is at work to bring these truths to bear upon us, by grace we are brought to see that the Lord Jesus is all that we need, that he is the true Savior and that he is totally sufficient to meet our every need. There is no need for anything but the Savior for Christ in order for us to be saved and kept both now and forever. And we must never forget that. We must never fall into the trap of going off and thinking that there must be other things that we need to supplement him. He is everything. And if we have him, then we can know indeed that we are saved. And you know, that simplicity in a measure, we know that the gospel is incredibly deep, that we can never really come to the end of it, never will, the, the wonders of it. But there is also a beautiful simplicity about it. You know, in this world, it can be so complex at times. You know, many are doing what they can to try and make sense of what life is and, you know, at least the lives that they're living. And people want meaning in their lives. They want purpose. And so they try all manner of solutions to, to try and help them to make sense of what is going on. And these solutions, they span the whole spectrum from, you know, religion to no religion, from some sort of belief in God or a, a higher being to total denial of God's existence. And all the while, the world is changing and its views are shifting and all of these things are going on. There is a rejection today, isn't there, of absolute truth. And so everything is shifting all the time. And so we're faced with confusion and chaos and ultimately collapse. And in the midst of that, people are lost, whether they admit it or not. And there continues to be those big questions. Well, why are we here? What is the, the point? Why are things like they are? What will the future be? And, you know, into all of that, the light of the gospel shines. And the proclamation of the truth, the word of God, it shows us we don't need to, to grasp around any further because the Lord Jesus is the answer. He is the one that we need. And that's what the Bible declares. And you say, well, you know, is it really that simple? Well, the Bible says, this is the way. You know, if you're, if you're groping in this world and you're, you're struggling and you don't know and so many things troubling you, the Bible says clearly, here is life. This is the way. This is salvation. Jesus himself said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. You know, if he is God, then his words must be true. And he said that he is the only savior, the only answer to the longing of every human heart. And Paul, in this letter, he is showing again that the glory of Christ and the wonder of the gospel. And uh, if you look at verse 3 of chapter 2, he says, Jesus, in whom I had all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And you say, well, really, all wisdom, all knowledge, all that, that wisdom and knowledge has to offer is found in Jesus Christ. Is that it? And the Bible says, yes. 
The answers are found in him. And then he he throws a warning out. Look at verse 4 of chapter 2. He says, Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. And he's saying, look, don't let anybody deceive you by trying to convince you that this is not true. Or by trying to convince you that there are other things to add to it, or other ways, or or other means. He says, "Don't, don't get pulled away by those things. And you know, there are many who would seek to do that, even under the guise of so-called Christianity. But it's in Christ that all the, the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found. Everything that has value, everything that has to do with meaning in this life and the life to come, everything related to life and death and eternity, joy, peace, fulfillment, putting your soul at rest, everything is found in Christ and Christ alone. If you look at verse 10, there's that incredible phrase when it speaks of the believer, you are complete in him. Complete in him. Now, think of who was writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. You've got Paul. He's a brilliant man. He's a man of status and means. But Philippians 3.8, he says, yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. Everything he ever knew could be set aside and counted loss compared to the Savior. And so the gospel tells us very clearly, very simply, that all the answers that you need for time and eternity are found in him. All the answers for your soul, all the answers to deal with your sin and the the broken relationship that you have with God outside of Christ, the answers for your hope for the life to come, they are all found in the Lord Jesus. Now, that is clear. Now, the sadness is that there are those who seek to pervert that and to change that. And even uh, in this situation in which we're in today, there are many who, who preach a gospel, but it's Jesus plus. And we've mentioned that phrase before. And, and many approach Christianity where they present Jesus as you know, a, an added extra in your life, someone to embrace as part of your life. And he, he's important and, and we should love him, but he's not everything. You need other things just to to come in and to to supplement. And so for some, it's very formal religion and ceremonies. For others, it's ecstatic experiences and all the rest. And and they say, well, we need these things to somehow finish off, to to enhance, because Jesus alone is is just not enough. There's there's something extra that we need. And they argue that that we need some higher thing or, or some additional ritual to add to what he has provided. But that's not what the Bible says. Everything we need is there for us in the Savior and a real saving relationship with him. And that's what Paul is saying again and again and again in this letter. You know, and he's saying, look, the glory of Christ, the glory of the gospel, we don't need anything else. You know, if you were to look back at chapter 1 and verse 13, he says, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Do you know, tonight, everybody lives in a kingdom. Now, I don't obviously mean the United Kingdom, although physically that's where we are at the moment, but everybody has a king. And there are two possible kingdoms, two possible kings. 
You can live under Satan or God. You can live in the kingdom of darkness or you can live in the kingdom of light. You can live in the kingdom of evil or the kingdom of righteousness. And God, by his grace, delivers sinners from the kingdom of darkness, the domain of darkness, into the kingdom of his beloved Son. And when you are brought into the knowledge of Christ, when you are saved, he becomes your king and you enter his kingdom. And the Bible says that you are given this wonderful redemption. You are bought back. You are delivered. You are released. You are delivered from judgment, delivered from punishment. You are bought back from hell because Christ paid the price. And you have the forgiveness of sins, all the sins you have ever or would ever commit, your rebellion against God. It's all forgiven because the penalty was paid by Christ upon the cross. And everything comes down to him, his person, his work. It is through him that we are transformed and converted and and granted life. And so Paul is dealing with this. And he speaks through a number of things that come in to clutter this simplicity in Christ. And it's not a a unique problem for the church at Colossae. It's also an issue, you know, in other of the, the early churches. You think of Corinth. And he writes there in 2 Corinthians 11.3, he says, I fear lest somehow your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And it's the same today. There is concern because there are so many voices forwarding false messages and it can be confusing. At worst, it can be fatal spiritually. Where in fact the gospel is so pure and so clear Jesus Christ and him alone. And so let's consider, what are some of these attacks on the sufficiency of Christ? Well, look at verse 8, if you will. And the first thing that Paul highlights is this idea of worldly wisdom or worldly philosophy. He says, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. And so Paul has been saying, look, you know, in Christ, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, you're complete in Christ, the one who is the image of the invisible God, the one by whom all things were created. He is the one who is the supreme authority, the one who is before all things, who holds all things together, the one in whom all the fullness of the Father dwells, the one who reconciles all things to himself, who made peace by the blood of his cross, He's everything. And he says, verse 8, don't let anybody distract you from Christ. Don't let anybody take you captive and pull you away from that singular commitment to the Lord Jesus. He says, look, you mustn't be dragged away like this because all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, it dwells in him. And you say, well, you know, why would believers be drawn away? You know, surely they they wouldn't be pulled away like that, but you would be surprised at how quickly, you know, there are those who sort of play with the ideas of the world and man has invented so many ideologies, so many philosophies and views on life and psychologies and theories and religions and cults and isms. You know, everybody has got their own little take on on what is true and, you know, what God is like and even on the Lord Jesus and the Bible. And you've got philosophers and authors and in our day we've got such 
a, a big exposure to social media and platformers and, and influencers and, you know, the, the movie world and talk show hosts and celebrities, all these throwing in their opinions. And people get sucked in. And they start to listen to their own people. Endless opinions streaming across all the time. Views of life, views of morality. Just a constant bombardment. It's no wonder people find it difficult to know who and what to believe. And the attitude prevails, as I said. Well, you know, there's no absolute truth. And so, you know, we can just define it for ourselves. And then you've got your truth. I've got my truth. And, you know, we'll see where it leads. But Paul says, look, believe it. Don't get drawn into that. You see to it that no one takes you captive. Literally, the idea is to be, to be carried off like plunder, to be taken captive by an enemy force. He says, don't let anybody kidnap your mind and kidnap your, your soul or, or seduce you by worldly ideas and, and human reasoning, that which undermines Christ and the grace of God. Don't let anybody move you away from Christ by worldviews and values and moralities and principles that come from human wisdom because it is empty deception, an empty lie. It's a delusion because it promises you so much. It, it makes it sound so attractive and so good. It seduces the mind, but it has no spiritual value at all. And he says, look, it's the tradition of men. It's the thoughts of men. You know, if you want to know divine truth, if you want to know supernatural truth, you don't go to a human source because all you're going to get out of a human source is human wisdom. And human wisdom doesn't transcend time and space. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says the natural man doesn't understand the things of God. And often people come along and they say, well, you know, I think this about God and I, and I think that about God and, I, and I've got this view and that view. Well... You know, why would I believe what you think about God is authoritative? We're talking about the transcendent God. We're talking about God who is, who is outside of our world, as it were. God who, who exists and is self-sufficient. I need to know about God from him. Not because of, of what you think, but from how he has revealed himself. You know, we're bound in time and space and God is outside of those. And the only way we could ever know is if God intervenes, if God reveals himself, if God condescends to come to us. And incredibly, he has done. And he gave us the wonderful creation around us which shows his existence. He has given us his word. But most gloriously of all, the ultimate revelation is Jesus Christ. You know, God coming into our world. That is a staggering reality. And just sometimes we, we get so familiar with these things that we, we fail to see the glory of it all. God the Son stepping down into this world in order to reveal and to save. It's amazing to think about that. You know, philosophy is that search for truth, but you never find it. You know, Bertrand Russell was a famous philosopher, and at the end of his life, he was around 90. At least 70 years of his life, he'd been a philosopher. And some of his last words were these. He says, philosophy has proved a washout for me. You know, imagine devoting 70 years of your life, and at the end, the summary is, philosophy is a washout. 
You know, Paul says it's, it's earthbound. It's just this world system talking to itself. It's not transcendent. It's not from the outside. You know, when you, you think about philosophers, I don't know what you have in your mind, but usually you have the idea of these, these elite minds of any age. And, you know, they're, they're thinking deep things, usually considered to be the great minds, the geniuses who, who sort of think in levels of complexity that will leave most of us bewildered. But the truth is this, no matter how intelligent they are, no matter how capable they are of processing information and retaining it, sorting it through and drawing conclusions that may bewilder us, they are thinking in bound terms. You know, they think they're advanced, but they're not because they have no ability to grasp the truth which is beyond human capability. You can't know the truth about eternity. You can't know the truth about origins. You can't know the truth about the end of the world and the truth about heaven and hell and the truth about the world and God and the word of God unless God reveals it. And that is what we have in the word of God. He came not only in the truth written, but in the truth incarnate in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit illuminates and, and opens eyes and opens hearts to see eternal things. And Paul says, don't get waylaid into the thinking of the world when all these riches are there for you in the Lord Jesus. You know, it's a danger at the moment because we find that we have all these agendas being thrown at us. We can lose our way. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and the truth that is found in him. And then he moves on, looks at another element, verses 16 to 17. And this is sort of a, an external religion, formal religion. He says, let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come for the substances of Christ. And so he builds on this theme and he says, look, there's another challenge. He says, believer, you're complete in Christ. In him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Here's the substance and all that is mentioned in verse 16 is the shadow. And external religion is often characterized by ceremony and grandeur and all those things. And Paul is dealing with some of the problems that were amongst the Pharisees and the legalism that had taken hold in Judaism. And so they wanted to sit in judgment upon people as to, to what they ate and whether they were kosher or not in their diet and whether they observed all the appropriate festivals and did they maintain the Sabbath and what about those new moon Sabbaths and all those things. And you know there are similar questions today coming from religious quarters, praying at set times, genuflecting and posturing and participating in the mass, lighting the candles, saying the beads, have we gone through the ceremonial washings? Participated in rites and, and duties and behaviors, you know, somehow mechanically to convey some kind of connection to God. And Paul says, believer, don't get led astray by all of that. The smells and the bells and all of those things. He said, don't get caught up in that. You know, and even in our, our own situation, you know, it's easy for us to, to start looking to the ritual and to the form rather than to Christ. And he says, don't think for a minute that some external activity, some external event in which you participate contributes or is necessary. One of the problems in the church at Colossae and elsewhere came from some who said, uh, if you were to look at verse 11, he says, look, you know, if you're a Christian, 
God's not going to accept you even though you believe in his son unless you're circumcised. And uh, Paul addresses this in other places as well. He says, look, forget circumcision. That had a place in the past. It was a, a picture. It was a shadow. And all these laws, the dietary laws, they, they had their place in the, the providence of God and they, they separated Israel from the nations around to protect them from the intrusion of false religious systems. All those things, there for a purpose, all pointing to Christ, by the way. All that God gave, a place of protecting and preserving and depicting the reality to come. But the reality has come. Christ is here, and so set the shadow aside. Set the, the, those things aside. You don't need the ritual. You know, someone asks, what does it mean to be a Christian? Does it mean that I, that I need to go to this event? Is that how I guarantee my place in heaven? Do I need to do these, these prayers and, and do these rituals and to recite these things? Paul says, no, you need Jesus Christ. You know, if you're here tonight and you think that going through some religious activity will save you that needs to be blown away from your thinking only Jesus can save you it's in him you know of course when we become believers when we receive new life you know we want to fellowship with other believers we want to worship him according to his word we want to be part of you know a gospel church and we want to worship the Lord because we love him and we want to serve him all those things but those things are an outworking of our love for him. No external activity contributes to our salvation. And so when you give your life to the Savior, everything that you need is graciously given to you. You know, and we, we come today because our hearts bring us. We, we want to sing and to, to fellowship, to hear the word of God, to rejoice and to share because we love the things that Christ has given. And we love Christ above all. And there are always, you know, legalistic people who say, well, Christ is no, you've got to have this and you've got to do this and you, you've got to do the other or you might not make it. And true spirituality, it's shown in the externals. And Paul says, don't get caught in that. Jesus only. And then another element that he highlights, verse 18, this idea of mysticism. He says, let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. You know, this idea of, of mysticism, flowing mysticism coming into religion, mysticism and religion set together. Lots of people today, they talk about spirituality, don't they? You know, you speak to people, oh, I'm not religious, but I like to think of myself as a spiritual person. Well, what does that mean? Well, mysticism is the idea that somehow you can connect with God or, or whatever higher power through some elevation of your mind, through some intuitive experience, some feeling, some, some longing which lifts you up and some higher experience. You know, some people think that they can stand on the shore and look at the ocean and touch God. You know, or, or you say, well, you know, there is a God because you sense the awesomeness. And some people think that when they see beauty or, or feel the breeze, you know, going through the trees, they're feeling God. That is all, all very mystical. Verse 18, people want to confuse the truth and the simplicity of Christ. They want to attack it with philosophy and legalism and mysticism. And Paul says, don't fall for that. Be taken up with Jesus. Be grounded in him. 
You know, one of the ways mysticism works is self-abasement. There are people who think that somehow if they just take a vow of poverty or strip themselves of everything, they'll rise to a higher level of spirituality. And, you know, people who go around their whole life and, you know, they've got little needles in their shoes just to give them that pain because they think that it brings them closer to God. Or some of them who wear belts that have tacks on the inside to irritate their flesh because it induces some sort of spiritual experience. You know, those who get involved in worshipping angels, and we know, don't we, that Catholicism has a whole section on the veneration of angels, transcending this life and touching the throne of God by connecting through angels. And these mystical ideas, they can be very intimidating. They can sound very spiritual, especially for those of us who are looking to the Lord Jesus. And you know, verse 18 speaks of those who focus on visions and secret revelations and, and that's where they get their looking to. And, you know, again, it's very intimidating for those of us who, you know, just have the word of God and love the Lord Jesus. You know, some have said, well, you know, doesn't God lead you? Very much he does. But he does so through the principles of his word and the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the leading of the Spirit of God. You know, there are so many who are, are basing all their hope in some, some vision or trip to heaven or all the rest of it. And Paul says, he says, look, don't get involved in that. Stay away from that. It robs you of the glory and the wonder that is found in Jesus. And that's what we need to keep coming back to. And also it adds, second part of verse 18, he says it, it gives rise to pride. Because people go, oh, so well, you know, I've had this experience and I've had this vision and I've had this, this insight. And many who are bound up in these things, they're very dismissive, often having this idea of a, a spiritual hierarchy. They're, they're particularly blessed. Friends, we've got to be so careful about that. You know, the problem is that they're not holding fast to the head. Who is the head? Christ is the head. Colossians 1.18, he is the head of the body, the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. You know, and all of a sudden the danger is that, that Christ doesn't become the focus anymore. It's all about the visions. It's all about the experiences. And he says, look, watch for those who want to corrupt the simplicity of Christ with all of these things, whether it's man's philosophy or legalism and external religion or who just want to exalt sort of mysticism and supposed experience no look to Jesus always look to the Lord Jesus and then the last thing as we draw things together look at verse 20 he says therefore if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world why as though living in the world do you subject yourselves to regulations you know, when a person comes to Christ, they die to this world, it's behind them, they are brought into newness of life, the realm of salvation, forgiveness of sins. They're complete in him. And if that's true, why would they submit themselves to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? You know, it's what we call asceticism. It's the idea of, of the denial and the discipline which gives a, a greater spiritual experience. You know, the idea of a monk in a cave. You know, the unhelpful denials because somehow this will earn us favor with God and we can merit favor with God. But it's bound up, Paul says, in things which perish. The commandments and the teachings of men. 
And verse 23 says people do this because they have an appearance of wisdom, an appearance of self-imposed religion, false humility. You know, and again, you know, you can look round and you can see this, you know, terrible treatment you see throughout church history of people who've done themselves great damage because they think they're earning favor with God, severe treatment of the body, but it's worthless. You know, anything to you, you do to your, your body in that term, you know, is, is worthless in terms of spiritual benefit until you submit your body in obedience to the truth of God. And you can only do that if you know Jesus. And Paul says, don't get drawn off into these things. Everything you ever need is in the Lord Jesus. Don't allow yourself to be corrupted by the thought that you can have Christ but you either need human wisdom or external rules or, or mystical experiences. And you know, all of those things, you know what they do? They just kill any, if there was any, love for Jesus and totally undermine the gospel. You know, and we've got to be so careful to say, oh, well, you know, those who say, well, you've got Christ, that's good, but if only you had Christ plus these other things. If only you had Christ, but, you know, you're living in self-denial and all the rest of it. Paul says, no, all you need is Jesus and Jesus only. And he says that throughout this passage. Look at verse 11. He says, in him you are also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now, what's he saying there? Well, circumcision was symbolic. It indicated that there needed to be a cleansing, that there was wickedness in their very nature. And you say, well, why did God choose circumcision? Well, it pointed to the corruption of man in the most dramatic way. And it was this profound illustration of human sinfulness in what it reproduces. Even, you know, those born are born in sin. That's the whole point of circumcision. And God was simply saying, you need a cleansing at the very basic root of human nature. And so the physical act was a symbol of what God knew was needed in the heart. And friend, you know, for every one of us, we need a profound cleansing at the very core of our nature because we are sinners. And that's what Paul is saying. We receive that when we come to Jesus. We receive a real circumcision, the removal of, and it's a wonderful phrase, the body of the flesh, the removal of that condemning power of the flesh. And he says in verse 12, when we come to Christ, we are buried with him in baptism. We are buried with him literally in his death. We die with him on the cross and we rise with him. There's a total transformation. And when you come to Jesus, there is a, there is a deep cleansing. There is a real death of the old life and we are, have risen through faith in Jesus. It's as if we have died on the cross with him and our sins were all punished and we rose from the grave with him to newness of life and union with the Savior. That's what we see pictured in believers' baptism. And Paul goes on and he says, verse 13, he says, look, we used to be dead in our transgressions, the uncircumcision of our flesh, but he has made us alive and he's forgiven all our transgressions. And so when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, we are taken through the grave. The old die, we, we rise in newness of life. And the past is gone, all our sins, past, present, future dealt with. And we are given new life in him and new desires and new longings. 
And he says it in most stunning terms in verse 14. You know, he speaks about when they nailed a criminal to the cross. On the top of the cross, they would put the crime so everybody would know why that person was being executed. And when they nailed Jesus on the cross, Paul is saying that effectively, for the believer, they wrote your sins above Jesus. They wrote all of your sin, all of your rebellion, and then it was cancelled. Because he paid the penalty. And the Lord Jesus, in his great love for sinners like you and me, for his people, came and shed his blood and took the place that you and I rightfully should have had. And he died as our substitute. He took all of our sin. And as the appointed mediator between God and his people, he gave himself, poured out his life unto death to bear away the sin of all who were trusted. And to give us everything we need, his righteousness, his life. And friends, to seek to add anything to that work. To seek to add anything to what Jesus has done. Oh, it is such an insult to him. And it is no gospel at all. Jesus, our Savior, gave himself. He has wiped out the handwriting of requirements against us. He has taken our sin. He has nailed it to the cross. And we bear it. No more. We don't need anything else but him. And friend, if you are looking anywhere else this night, may I urge you, throw those things away because they are useless to you. You need the Savior. You know, let me ask you, have you put your trust personally in this blessed one, Jesus Christ, who died the just for the unjust, who has made the propitiation for the sins of his people, Because when you come to the Lord Jesus Christ, you receive the forgiveness of sins. You receive a new nature. You receive a new heart that loves righteousness. You die to the past. You rise to newness of life. You come to Christ. You're taken out of the kingdom of darkness and brought in the kingdom of his dear son. You understand the truth. You see the world differently. You see the emptiness of all those other things. And you know that you have the pearl of great price, because you have him. You have the treasure in the field, as the parable says, because you have him. It's all in Christ. And I don't want you to be under any illusion, delusion, whatever this night. I don't want you to leave this place without knowing with clarity that unless you trust Jesus for yourself, you are lost. And you are lost forever unless... You turn and you believe in him. Unless you turn from everything else, repent of your sin and believe in the Savior. And if you believe in him, he will save you and he will keep you. And you don't need all these other things because you have him. All truth, all wisdom, all knowledge, all peace, all joy, all value, all fulfillment, all satisfaction, all purpose, all deliverance, all strength, all comfort, all hope in Jesus Christ. To have him is to have everything. And so I ask you very simply tonight, do you possess Christ by faith? Do you believe in him? Have you appropriated Jesus for yourself? Or are you still clinging on to these other things? Friend, set them aside. Jesus only. He is the one we need. And for those of us who know him, surely as days go by, 
our longing is to see him and to be with him and to worship him forever. There is none but him, and I pray that you will be found in him this night. Amen.